Welcome back. Hey, this is episode number seven. We are glad you are here. This is the Unleashed Podcast. And remember, we are the resistance. So last week we had a, a special guest, a really close friend of mine. Um, his name was Roger Medley. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that this guy has been in his lifetime. And I have so much admira- admiration and respect for him. But before we bring him back on, you know, it's kind of funny. He was, he was um, you know, in, in the military. Uh, he did a lot of flying. He was in a lot of the different, uh, you know, venues. And I'll let him tell you about, about some of that stuff. But being that I get to travel quite a bit, you know, I get to be on uh, planes frequently. And I, I told a, a plane story a few weeks ago where we had a mechanical issue with a rear uh, thruster kicking on a mid-flight. But I was flying, I think I was going to Traverse City, Michigan, and as many of you know, I do a lot of speaking for wild game dinners and things like that. And so does our, our guest today as well. And I'll let him tell you more about that as well. But so I'm flying up there. And when Roger and I first met, it was because we were connected through a pro staff we were on together called God's Country Camouflage. Well, the venue that was having me speak that night, they literally were picking me up at the airport and driving me straight there. Now, I never just wear a full camo outfit, but I had to go right to this thing, no time to change. So I wore my camo on the plane, which I don't normally do. So as the plane takes off, I'm sitting beside this woman, and she's like over against the window, and she has these little cat eye glasses and pearls. She's very distinguished looking, you know, and she's reading some really big, thick, deep book. And as we get up to altitude, you know, they, they say we can put our tray tables down and everything. So I, I do, and I get in my camel backpack, and I pull out this, this bow hunting magazine. And when I open the thing up, you know, she's, she begins to look over, and she's seeing these different animals, you know, that these guys have harvested. And I could see her kind of scoot a little bit closer to the window away from me. She was a little bit, uh, you know, uncomfortable. So as the flight attendant comes back, you know, to give us drinks and peanuts or whatever they were doing that day, he asked me, he says, hey, would you, would you want some peanuts? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love some peanuts. So he gives me some, and he says, man, would you like some? She goes, yes, please. So he goes to, to pass them across me to give them to her, and they fall out of his hand, and they fall right on a picture of this dead bear. She looks at me. She looks at the picture. She, like, takes her fingertips and just gently picks the peanuts up, and she starts to turn away from me. And then she turns back, and she looks at me, and she goes, do you mind if I ask you a question? I'm going, I know this is going to be good. She said, what exactly do you do for a living? I was like, seriously? And I said, well, I said, honestly, I said, um, you know, I was in the music industry for about 25 years, and I did a lot of touring and music. I said, and now I do a lot of working in the outdoor industry, in the hunting world. And she looks at me, and she goes, oh, my gosh, you're Ted Nugent. (laughs) No, what's (laughs) funny about this is – when Roger and I first met, it was at the archery trade show in Indianapolis, and he and I were on a break, and we were walking around, and we went by Ted Nugent's booth, and there was a huge banner up there, and it had Ted, and Roger looks at me, and he goes, dude, you do look like him, So, and he wasn't at the booth for a moment, so I stood up at the booth like I was going to be answering people's questions, and Roger, you have a picture of that somewhere, don't you? I do. Oh, if you've got that, you know, get it to me. Maybe we'll put, put that up on this podcast. That would be hilarious. But, again, before we get into this stuff, I just want to remind you, you know, if you are, um, you know, finding us on Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, wherever you, you listen to podcasts, you know, make sure to give us a follow, a like, uh, you know, rate, a rating, and subscribe to what we're doing here. So, without further ado, right, um, Roger, 
I do have an incredible amount of respect for you, not only as a man of God, a husband, father, all those things, and, and a really good, you know, kind of a, what is that, the bad dad joke? You're like the king. Hey, give us a bad dad joke real quick. Uh, okay, did you hear that the uh, scientists that figure out how to weigh a rainbow, um, somehow they figured it out. I don't know how they figured it out, but it turns out, you know, what's, so the big question is how much does a rainbow weigh? turns out pretty light. <laughs> I told you this There's guy is. There's probably a prayer request in there. Oh. <laughs> There's a prayer request in there somewhere. I have a lot of questions about your childhood, Roger. I'm not sure here. Hey, speaking <laughs> of questions, Eric, we had a question come in before we get into this. Yes. Uh, this question is from Kayla from Cleveland, Ohio. How do I motivate an underperforming employee? I really like him personally, but I need more out of him. Well, first of all, she's from Cleveland, and I'm a Steelers fan, so I promise to be nice. <laughs> so he's got an under she's got an underperforming employee and she's wondering how do I what was it again how do I get him to uh it said he's underperforming uh likes him personally but she wants to motivate him because I, I think they're heading towards where a possible termination right. is, is and you know she wants to salvage him so yeah here's what I would say never we we start a sentence with how do I get someone to you're going down the wrong path I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've even had, you know, uh, uh, some someone's wife call me and say, hey, my husband isn't meeting these expectations or doing what I want. How do I get him to? And it can go both ways, um, husbands and wives. But whenever we start that sentence with how do I get someone to, you can't, okay? You can't make them. Um, the thing is, until they see their need to change, until they really know that they need to change, they're just not going to. Um and let me tie that together real quick with something interesting here. When we think about trying to get someone to, what did it take for you to change? Well, here's what I know. Until I'm convicted about something, until I know my need to do something different, I'm not changing. But once I see my need, because I've been convicted of it, and this is what this guy needs to see, okay? He needs to see his need for it. He needs to be convicted of it, that he needs to be doing something different. Because conviction is a beautiful thing. It leads to two things. It leads to repentance and obedience. So there you go. I mean, really, until he sees his need for it, nothing's going to change. He has to be convicted of it and uh, stay in the game with him, love him where he's at, but have good, healthy boundaries with him. You know, sometimes we do love well by having to, you know, draw those healthy boundaries. It's it's loving him well by by doing that. So, well, anyhow, let's go back. Uh, you Before you get started, you want to remind the people how to send us questions? Oh, yeah. We, we love getting your questions in. Um, you can send those to podcast at unleash.men and, man, bring them in. And as we go through these episodes, especially if they pertain maybe to what we're going to be doing that week, um, we'll make sure we, we hit those. So anything else you can think of before we rock on? Nope. Let's rock on. All right, Roger. You're, we're going to rock on with you. So... I, I mentioned about having a lot of respect um, for Roger. Um, he, he shared in our last podcast, you know, he had gone through, um, you know, different military schools for survival and evasion, all these different things. But that was for a reason, uh, because he was, a, he was a trained soldier. That's what, you know, in the military, that's what he was. And as we begin to talk about the different things he had been involved in, I don't know if you're like me. When I was a kid, you know, and I would watch different war movies, um, there was something as a kid that it caused me to want to step up, right? We would play, you know, cowboys and Indians. That's what we did. 
Um, uh, that was the culture back then. We played an army. We played war. We would, you know, whether it was um, pine cones or or apples, or we would pretend we'd be lobbing you know, grenades at the bunkers of the enemy because, again, we talked about being dangerous for good. We all wanted to know that we were dangerous, uh, someone to be reckoned with when we were kids. And whenever I see someone grow up and find their place who literally is willing to lay down their life for what they believe in, and Roger is one of those guys, so I want you to listen to him, um, man, I have an incredible amount of respect. So, Roger, kind of go back. Um, you know, I was glued to the television back in 1991, um, many of you, if you were around, you remember that it was the, uh, the very beginning of, of the war with, uh, desert storm. And I remember president Bush going on there as we got back to the hotel room, I was with a, a group called one and we were recording an album in Nashville. And I get walk into the hotel that night and I see him on there and you see the, the opening of all these, you know, this tracers going up in the sky and missiles being fired. You know, it's, it's an awesome thing and it's a terrible thing. And sometimes it's a needed thing. But Roger is one of those men who heard the call um, and and walked into it. So Roger, man, I know you got some great stories. So man, you just you just go. You know, um, if we can go back to the to the question real quick, um, you know, when I was CEO of a of a little tech company here in the Colorado Springs area. Um, <laughs> The Proverbs tells us, you know, why people perish for a lack of vision. Sometimes employees need to understand the vision. And it's sometimes it's just that simple. Sure, we have folks that just don't, you know, don't want to engage. But my first question to this boss would be, does your employee understand the vision, truly understand the vision? Anyway, um, yeah, we, uh, I was stationed in North Carolina at Pope Air Force Base in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, right next to Fort Bragg at the time. We had four gates on Pope, and three of them dumped you out into Fort Bragg, which is no longer called Fort Bragg anymore. Um, somebody got a little... Uh, upset about uh, who um, Mr. Bragg was and uh, and his past, so they changed the name of it. But uh, early August of 1990, I think it was probably a day or two after Saddam invaded Kuwait, we got the phone call that said, hey, get your stuff, we're leaving. And literally probably 95% of the base deployed over into uh, the Middle East. Um, Lots of amazing stories, uh, you know, we could could share and and talk about, lots of memories. And frankly, uh, it was a time, I was a single dad at the time when I deployed in early August of 90. And uh, knowing what I've, you know, experiencing what I did and how I saw God work, uh, both in my life and the, in the lives of, of uh, many, countless others, I would go back to the desert again in a heartbeat to, to get out into a place like that where, um, you know, lives are changed and forged and friendships are, are made 
Man, I would embrace that again. Uh, I was gone uh, about eight months for that deployment, going from Desert Shield into Desert Storm. Hey, and, Roger, for uh, those who don't know do the difference, again. for those who don't know the difference, real quick, tell them the difference between Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Sure, sure. Uh, Desert Shield really was it was the buildup of troops. It was we were literally the some of the first to get there. We landed, we started out, I started out in Thumbrate, Oman. Uh, we called it Thumbscrew because literally we were, we were in the middle of the desert of Oman. And uh, there was a, a base there that had for years pre-deployed things, uh, trucks and tents. And so we landed and they said, hey, you guys are in crew rest. Go finish putting your tent together. And it was, you know, 115 degrees and the wind was 30, 30 miles an hour and the tent was flapping. But Desert Shield was all the deployment, the initial getting troops in place, all the buildup. It included, if you remember, there was a big sweep of troops that uh, really started way out west in Saudi Arabia and made the big big sweep from the west or they headed north and then they turned to the east so they were coming from the west. That's what our job was. We were hauling beans, bullets, bombs, fuel, people. We were landed on a road up there uh, along the Iraqi Saudi border. Desert Shield lasted until mid-January when the what was called the Air War started, and that's when it switched from Desert Shield to Desert Storm. And essentially, the U.S. and coalition forces just, uh, man, just bombed the snot out of the Iraqis, both in Kuwait and in, in Iraq, for about six weeks before the ground war started. And so that really is the difference. Shield was the preparation and the movement of troops, the placement of troops and resources, and then storm was when we started blowing stuff up. But uh, so we got we got there and we were flying all literally all the time, hauling stuff around for well from early August and literally until until mid January. But there was a um, a very significant, um, a, a couple different significant things that happened while we were there. And um, boy, you know, what's the right story to tell? There was a, perhaps the, uh, probably the, well, for this episode, I guess, the most impactful time for me was during Desert Shield, there was a squadron of uh, F-15 Strike Eagles from Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in, in northeastern North Carolina that was stationed there, also a squadron of British Tornado fighters. And there was uh, an F-15 and a Tornado out, um, you know, doing some um, some practice stuff out in the desert. And the one thing about 
flying in the desert is there's no trees, right? There's, there's really nothing to give you any sort of sense of how high you are, just the horizon. And it can be very, very deceptive. And that F-15 um, that was doing some mock dogfights with that, uh, that tornado ended up crashing into the desert and killed the, uh, the pilot and the, the radar nav or bombardier, I guess you could call them, the backseater. And the interesting thing was three days before that incident, I'd been praying with that backseater. A good friend of mine, the, the chaplain, Stu Smith, he was he knew uh, the the front seater and the back seater of that F-15 because he was from their base, and he had to go out and identify the bodies. And a couple of days later, we go out to fly a mission, and we were we were hauling literally hauling everything, literally bombs, bullets, ammo, fuel. This one particular morning, we show up at the airplane, and I walk into the cargo compartment of our C-130, and there's two big metal boxes. Mm. Our mission that day was was to begin the journey home for these two airmen. We we get into these situations in life where, you know, we depend upon one another. And we can isolate ourselves or we can embrace, you know, the a phrase that now that my son, old, youngest son is going through SEAL training, um, you know, he and I, we use this phrase, embrace the suck. Yeah. Um, and, and the bottom line is, you know, God, God is the author and finisher of our faith. And, and he works all things to our good. I believe that. He loves us. So I believe it. And uh, anyway, we get into these situations where, uh, where we depend upon one another. We have these, these memories of, of men that we've, that we've served with or we've done life with, whether it's in a men's group or a Bible study or church or something like that. And I remember uh, going back to a time when I was in C-130 school as a flight engineer and went out to, I uh, was not a believer at the time, but uh I went to a, a bar called Checkmate in Little Rock, Arkansas, Select a Slut, Select a Mate <laughs> were the names used for this particular bar. And we got there early. A guy by the name of Damon Kanua and I, we got there early. We stayed all night. We were there until last call. I drank so much alcohol that really food poison or uh Alcohol poisoning would have been, you know, the reality, except uh, God intervened in my life that night. 
And so we go back to the dorm. My roommate, who was a believer, um, had said, hey, Roger, I went and checked out a church. And this is like, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the morning after stumbling in from the bar. Uh, I never even got drunk that night. I mean, it wasn't because my tolerance for alcohol was high. I absolutely believe that God intervened. This guy, Kurt, said, Roger, I went and checked out this church, talked to the pastor today. I'm going to go on Sunday. Do you want to go? Uh, I was in the midst of, uh, you know, a separation, which ultimately led to a divorce. My first wife had an affair. I didn't really like the idea that she had a boyfriend, so we split up. And uh, it was really uh, two weeks later, I was playing guitar in that church's band. Wow. But so where does Damon Kanua come into this? During Desert Storm, there was an AC-130 gunship. Damon was a he was a flight engineer stationed in Hurlburt, uh, Florida. He was a flight engineer on A1, AC-130 gunships. And those things are, boy, you're talking about an amazing airplane. From 10,000 feet, they can hit a football in the middle of a football field. Yeah, that's, that's nuts. That's the airplane that orbits at 10,000 feet. It blows up everything. 105 millimeter howitzer cannon on the side of this airplane. Well, that during Desert Shield, or excuse me, Desert Storm, there was a gunship that was shot down. Damon was on that airplane. They were dead before they even hit the water. We go through times. We've got men in our life. Things are forged. Friendships are forged. We've got to, we've got to learn to rely on others. We've got to be willing to walk with others, right? Yeah. And Brent, I know there was a time when uh, a guy I know uh, ended up walking with you during one of your times of yeah. meeting somebody. Yep. Can you tell us about that? You know, I, I shared just a, a tiny little bit uh, when I when I told my story um, on one of the maybe it's two weeks ago in that episode about my own personal shipwreck, but yeah, when uh, when I was at my very bottom, I'll never forget when I told this man my story. I was broken, and he just looked at me and he said, "It's a good thing the real you didn't do that sin." And I went, "What? I I know what I did." He says, "No." He says, "You don't understand. It's a good thing the real you didn't do that sin." And then over the next 10 years, he would mentor me, and, and I un- began to understand, like I, I talk every week, identity, 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 that the real me is Christ in me where there is no sin. So at the core of who I am, and that's coming back to what you were talking about, he really taught me that no matter what the sin is in our life as a believer, I have God's righteousness because I could never do it on my own. And here's the thing, God doesn't, mm-hmm. he wants us to rely on him. He doesn't want us to do all this you know, stuff here on this earth alone. And he, he gave us friends, right? Um, he gave us brothers in Christ. That's one of the things that, like with Roger and I, he, he got a hold of me a couple of weeks ago when his son was graduating um, from, from Navy boot camp up in Great Lakes, uh, Chicago. And he, he texts me right before the thing, and he goes, hey, here's a live feed so you can watch the graduation. He and I are friends. Now, friends doesn't mean that we always just have these great adventures. There's been times when we've had to say things to each other that we needed to hear. Um, times he's had to come back and say, Brent, no, this is something that I need to bring to your attention. And I am so thankful because I was blind to some of the things that I was doing, but he loved me enough to step up like a man and say, hey, it doesn't change our relationship, but I need you to see something here. And he was right. 
And Roger, I want to take this, you know, you and I, we've had all these, you know, great adventures in hunting, but there was one, and we talked in the last episode about going to Poison Pass area where we have been hunting, and we got surrounded by all the water, and I got hypothermic, and you guys helped me get out of there. Well, here's, here we go. <laughs> Once again, you know, Roger to the rescue, kind of like Popeye, he, uh, <laughs> we were we were down in this same gully, right, as we talked about last week yeah. on the episode, and it, it rained. I think it was for like 17 hours. If I remember, we're under these tarps again. You know, this is a different, this is a year later than last week. This is the same trip. I'm glad, Roger, you're here so you can verify how dumb I can be. But he has these tarps and we're under it, and it rains for like 17 hours. I logged this. Well, my pack was out from underneath the edge of the tarp. I'd been sleeping, you know, curled up and not real, realizing that water had kind of, you know, balled up at the bottom of this tarp and it had to run off somewhere and it just happened my pack was there and so it fills up my pack and once again, I packed the kitchen sink as always and now my pack weighs about 80 pounds. It's stupid, crazy stuff. Well, one of the things that I had done and didn't want to tell them because these guys, you know, both former military guys, I messed up my water filtration, and he had got me a new water filtration unit um, in the inline one that comes right out of the pack and out of the, uh, the the camel that I've got on my back, and I'd messed it up, and I couldn't get it to filter water. Well, you know, last year I was trying to be in shape, and, you know, Roger takes off, so I'm, I'm wanting his respect, and I didn't want to tell these guys that I had messed up my water filtration, so I just didn't say a word about it. Well, we realized we got to get out of there. We're soaked. Again, the mud is nasty. We're going back up those switchbacks to the very top again. And we get maybe halfway up. I had nothing left in the tank. I had nothing. I was getting dehydrated, but I didn't want to say a word about it. You know, that whole man thing. You know, I don't know what that, that's true or not, because I, I always complain to my wife. She'll be the first one to tell you, you know, you, women are so much tougher than men. You know, they go through childbirth and hardly do a thing. But you men, you know, like you get a cold and you think it's the end of the world. And it's true. But I was trying to get their respect. So I'm trying to tough it out. And we get about halfway up, and I go over to Roger, and my thumbs, do you remember this? They were, they were curled into my palms, and I said, Roger, can you open my thumbs? And he bends them back, and he goes, dude, you are dehydrated bad. He said, you know what? We're not going to try to get back and get dry stuff. We're going to go into town about an hour away. We need, let's go get a good meal, get you some water. Maybe we can throw our muddy clothes in a washing machine at a hotel, and then we can make a, a, another trip of it tomorrow. So we get to this little Italian restaurant in Pagosha Springs. I remember that. And I, like huge glasses of water, I downed three of them. I was so thirsty. Well, when you get dehydrated, you don't just rehydrate by drinking water really fast. It's, it's you know, because it takes, really from being a singer, I can tell you, it takes about 16 hours. Like if I'm going to be singing for a session, I used to be a musician, sang in the studio a lot. It takes about that long for water to really hydrate you so that you don't get dry mouth and all that. So I drink all that water. I think I'm going to be good. We get back to the hotel room. The next morning, we wake up. We go downstairs to the little, you know, breakfast area just outside of the uh, the main lobby. And we're sitting there eating. And, and I looked at you, Roger, and I said, man, who burned the, the waffles in here? Because there was a waffle maker. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, man, it's smoky in here. He goes, there's no smoke in here. I said, huh? You're kidding me. I said, I I go out to the lobby and the manager was standing there. And I said, is there a fire in the building? Did someone burn something? And he goes, sir, there's no smoke in here. Uh, Okay. So 
I go as fast as I can back up to the hotel, second floor. I get take the stairs. I get up there. I look in the mirror, and if you've ever got like gotten out of a really hot shower and you can barely make out your silhouette because it's so you know steam on the on the mirror, I can barely make out my own image now in the mirror. So those guys get up behind me and they said, "Hey, dude, um, what do you think's up?" I said, "I don't know." So they help me get on the phone. I call my doctor back in Indiana. We're in Colorado, and um, it was a, it was, I had a female doctor and she says to me, she goes, uh, you, you need to get to the ER. I said, no, no, no. I said, we're on a hunting trip. You know, we've got all this time and energy invested. She goes, do you want to die? I said, seriously? She goes, I think you're having a stroke. So by this time, the guys realize it, 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 it was really serious. And so they walk me, one guy on each side of me down to the truck. And by this time I can still see a little bit. I could see the curb to step off of it. They get me to the emergency room in Pagosa Springs, and they walk me in to the emergency room. And as I'm standing there, and they're over there kind of getting me checked in, this nurse walks over to me, and I'm, I guess I'm facing a wall because I can't see anything at this point. And she says, sir, I need you to look at the eye chart on the wall over there and tell me which line you can read. And I said, what wall? She goes, you can't see the wall? I said, I can't see anything. So she, she comes walking out. A minute later, she goes, stay here. She comes back and she has something. I, she says, hey, um, we need to get a urine sample from you. Um, we need to see what's going on here. So she says, I'm going to walk you over to the bathroom. Were you guys standing there when this happened? Yep. Yeah. It, it, I'll never forget this. It's like the line when, when I was getting hypothermic and you're like, hey, if we can't get the, the, the your body temperature up, we got to put you between us in a sleeping bag. And this nurse walks me over and she goes to take me into the bathroom and she goes, do you need any help? And I hear this laughter coming from the back. I said, I think I got this much. So, Brent, if I can just interject yeah. here real quick. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was going through, and this is maybe the sixth part of Roger, um, <laughs> but I was thinking, if she's going to help him, I'm going to I'm going to dump a, a a big gallon thing of ice water right in his crotch right before <laughs> she goes in here. <laughs> oh, that, that, yeah, it's like getting out of a cold pool. And, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I don't want to do this. You know, it's like, what if I miss the cup and get it all, you know. But so I, I finally, you know, I don't know about you, but like in the middle of the night when I need to go to the bathroom, I, I leave it pitch black. I know like every step, you know, where the door handle is, the, 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 out, the, the frame of the door. You know, you just you get used to that. But uh, anyhow, I don't know why I even brought that up. I think about that sometimes because I, I honestly, I think about this. If I went blind, would I still know my way around the house, right? So you kind of learn to measure your steps where things are. But you never think that's going to happen to you. But here I am in Pagosa Springs in the emergency room, and I am blind as a bat. I can't see anything. So they, they walk me down. They get me in an emergency room bed, pull the curtain. And pretty soon, two doctors come in, and they said, uh, hey, we got the results of your, your, your urine back. Your urine is brown. It's not yellow. It's brown. And you've got something, um, it's called rhabdomyolysis, if you want the term. And for short, they call it rhabdo. They said, we actually had two hunters die of that this year that came in. They got so dehydrated that what happens is your organs begin to eat themselves. That's what happens. They just begin to deteriorate and eat themselves. And they said, if we can't get your fluid levels back up within about the next 16 hours, you're going on dialysis. And I'm like, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't see this coming in a million years. And so my pride, because of that, here I am, not wanting to tell anybody what was really going on in my life. And so, you know, because the water filtration, what would they think of me? So 
they get me into a, a hospital bed for a couple of days, and I can't see anything. I can remember the television being on, and it's when the Pope visited the United States, and I can remember hearing that on the on the uh, the television. And a doctor comes walking in, and he kneels down beside the bed. And Roger had stayed with me the whole time with this thing. Um, so this doctor walks in, and he rolls my eyelids back. And first he says, "Hey, can you can you read my name?" I said, "Sir, I can't even see you." He says, "Really?" And I said, I can't see a thing. So he rolls my eyelids back, and he goes to do something, and he jams his thumbnail right into my eyeball by accident. And I, I'm telling you, I have, you know, I've had root canals. That was right up there with. I had a root canal one time that had a double nerve in it, and they got the shot in the one and missed the other one, and he goes right down with that raw nerve. I'll t- that'll light you up. But he does this with his thumbnail, and the, the worst part about it was He's going to be putting some drops in my eyes to dilate and do something with my eyes. And whatever he, the injury he caused me when he put his thumb in there, he put those drops in. I, I think in the next six hours, I must have hit my pain button that you have in the hospital bed probably a dozen times saying, I need pain medicine. This, this is the worst thing I've ever felt. But so they finally, you know, I hear you. I'll tell you what, when you, when you are in that situation, you have no idea what you're going to to feel. We talked about feelings. And you begin to think thoughts of that are creating these bad emotions like, what if I can never see again? What if I can never see my kids again? What if I can't do that thing that I'm called to because I can no longer see, which requires me to be driving and flying and doing adventures? You know, what if I can't do any of these things? Those what ifs. And you know, that's where the enemy loves to get us. He loves to give you those those past and future thoughts, you know. What if I can't? It creates all kinds of anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, all these things, which is exactly where he wanted me. He didn't want me to be able to see um, that God had a plan, and God was doing part of his plan that day through my friends who were there with me, that walked with me and didn't leave my side no matter what. So after, I don't know how many, how long it was, eventually I get my eyesight back. I was in there for a little while, and when the doctor discharges me, he says, now listen, here's the deal. Um, I don't want you going back out there elk hunting. And I remember raising my left eyebrow and looking over at Roger and he's like, Oh geez. And he says, okay, if you do Roger, you got to keep a good eye on him. And Roger's like, I got it. So we, we did end up going back out and, and going uh, hunting for another day or so before that trip was over. But when I go back and I look at all this stuff, I had a friend that really did stick closer to me than a brother. And when you find yourself in those situations, you know, we're always so worried that we're going to be left alone. But you are never alone, ever. And I know, Roger, when you talk about some of these instances, when you said you knew God was with you that one night, you knew he was there. You had drunk all this alcohol, but you weren't drunk, and you said you knew God was working a plan. And that's exactly what he does. Sometimes he'll do it in a divine way where no one else is around and we see it happening only by the hand of God. And then sometimes the hand of God chooses someone else's hand that he's going to put in yours to walk you through these storms like Desert Storm that Roger went through. Now, we all have storms. You cannot get away from it. But we have a God who knows everything about you, everything. And because you did good things, he doesn't love you anymore. And because you've done bad things, he doesn't love you any less. His love is constant. You are his beloved. Raj, is there anything that you want to add to that? Or you had time to kind of sit back and listen to that? 
Yeah, there's there's a maybe a couple of things. Um, there was a part part of that that um, if you remember when we got to Dosa Springs, it was late in the day, so we we opted to uh, stay in a hotel that first night and then go into the backcountry the next morning. Whatever you ate that that night didn't agree with you, and so when we started off heading into the backcountry, you were already dehydrated. And so the for me, the illustration here is, you know, you were dehydrated when we, when we started. Rhabdomyolysis comes from a, a combination of high physical exertion and the combination of high physical exertion and dehydration, right? Yeah, I've seen marathon so runners. You were already dehydrated. Exactly. And, and actually, you know, I mentioned uh, my youngest son, Jake, going through SEAL training, um, the, the prep portion of, of SEAL training. And there is, there's another, uh, uh, you know, future, potentially future SEAL that had rhabdomyolysis that he was telling me about a couple of weeks ago. But the point is, is here's, here's a, a little thing that happened. There had been, you know, I mentioned in the last episode that uh, that part of the state of Colorado gets a whole lot of rain. And so the, the streams where we were getting our water were not running clear. They were muddy. And so that's why your filter got plugged up. Mine was uh, actually pretty plugged up as well. I was on the last uh, last bit of water when we made it out and so we were all dealing with you know some degree of the same kind of circumstances with our equipment starting to fail because of the dirtiness of the water point is is it was you had you had a stomach issue before we got going you were already behind the curve and then like you mentioned your pride got in the way and uh you know it doesn't get in, I know you now, it doesn't get in the way with you anymore. So you've learned. That's a cool thing. But for me, what I didn't do is I didn't pay enough attention to all the little things that you were going through. I, I've lived out here for more than 20 years. I know dehydration is a big deal. I thought I had tried to, uh, you know, pay attention to, to that for you. And clearly I, I didn't pay enough attention. And so, you know, for you, I apologize for, for not, for not doing that, but, uh, to be able to stand there with you and, uh, um, you know, and watch what God was, was doing, man, such a privilege. When we walk with others, it's a privilege. Yeah. It is nothing short of that. And when, so, when so someone lets you in, solo, yeah, no, I yeah. was going to say was when yeah. someone well, allows you to be in, and there's that trust formed. That's a bond that will never be broken. Absolutely. Yeah, you like you mentioned, you and I have locked horns on some various topics, and and uh, and and frankly, it's it's for me, it's and I don't know for you as well. It's never been. Well, is this friendship going to continue or not? But that's never, that question's never entered my mind. Yeah. 
it's what's God doing here? Let's figure it out. You know, am I wrong? Are we both wrong? Which is probably, you know. And, and, we, and this goes back the, to this whole episode with the whole pride thing. We can only be that person when we swallow our pride, when we, we swallow our need to be right. If I have to be right, I've already lost. Yeah. Yeah, iron sharpens iron, right? We, 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 we quote that proverb many times, but what happens when iron strikes iron? There's sparks. Yeah. There's yeah. forging. There's all kinds of stuff that goes, you know, God's bigger than us. Let's just submit to him and let him teach us. How about we do that? You know, there's, a, there's a two sayings I'm thinking about. I was watching a podcast recently, and I love this quote. It says, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And that's the one thing I love. When yeah. you and I get together, we talk. We are prepping for battle because we know it's coming. We absolutely know those storms are going to be coming back at us in all kinds of different ways, ways we, we don't even know are coming, but we're prepared. And the other quote that I heard, and I think I have this right. I think it was, and if I'm wrong, tell me. I think it says, um, strong men create good times. Good times create soft men, and soft men create hard times. I think it's so yeah. important that we look, even what's happening in this culture, this world, this country right now, we've become soft. We become incredibly soft. We are, and we are now entitled to everything. And the problem is men don't want to go to each other and admit what's really going on behind closed doors in their life right now because a man, one of his top things, his needs is respect. We want that like I talked about. My pride got in the way. But it's only when I can humble myself with someone that I trust, right? Let me just kind of say this. I want to wrap up here. But this was a quote from, I think I have it pretty close to right, but my friend John Lynch wrote a book called The Cure. And he says in this, he says, imagine a place so safe that we could tell the worst about ourselves and actually be loved more, not less, for the telling of it. When you have a brother like I have in Roger, and pride no longer needs to get in the way because I don't have to have his respect. And likewise, we can really not just confess our sins, but we can confess our temptations, the areas that the enemy is hitting us with. And that is so key. So guys, I want to invite you as you, as you finish up, if you're driving wherever you are right now, let me ask you just this one question right now. Do you have a brother or a band of brothers that you walk with that you know, no matter what, you could share anything you're going through and it would be a safe place where you're not going to be judged, where someone is trying to fix and control you like the one question we had at the beginning, how do I get someone to, right? It's not about trying to get someone to, it's about learning to walk with someone so the Holy Spirit can help them know what they don't know yet, and when they're blind, they can't see it, Helps the Holy Spirit helps you see what you can't see. He promises to stick closer than a brother. Roger, I am honored uh, to have you here. Uh, we will be lifelong friends, and I look forward to see what God's going to be doing. Brent, I can't, I can't say uh, with enough emphasis how excited I am for you with the podcast, with uh, all the ministry, the amazing things that God has used you to do. Um, like I said, it's, it is such a privilege we're close enough that I get to see what God is doing. And, and it is, it is such a privilege. I'm honored to be, um, you know, on a couple of your episodes and, uh, I look forward to what God's going to do in and through you. 
in the coming days and months and years. I agree. Can't wait to see what God's doing in you and what he's going to be doing through all these guys. So let me just leave you with this, guys. God is creating a strong man in you. So when you have these trials that are coming, remember that he is forming you. He is making you fit for the kingdom. It is better, again, to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. He's made you for this time. Your strength is needed. Stay unleashed.